0: Well, if you have your Bibles with you, please, could you turn to Luke chapter 15? And as I do, let me um, assure you that what's going to happen is we'll read the passage, we'll pray, and I'll speak for 10 to 12 minutes, so, uh, so don't, uh, it's not going to be a, a long sermon I trust. All right. So Luke chapter 15, and we're going to read from verses 1 till 10 well-known passage. So Luke chapter 15 and verse 1, where we're told, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable, Can we just bow our heads in prayer, please? Father, we thank You that You're faithful. We thank You that Your Word is true. We thank You, Lord, that that You have spoken and revealed Yourself to us. And as we consider this passage, this well-known passage, for a a brief time, we ask that You will speak to us and encourage us so that we may live for You in this world. And to that end, Lord, I do ask for the help of the Holy Spirit, Father, please, May he help me to be true to the text and true to Jesus our Savior, for I ask this in our Savior's precious name. Amen. Well, I hope those of you who know anything at all about SGA will, as I said before, will know that we as a mission have an aim to see the gospel advancing into areas that it has never been before. So yes, we say our aim is to equip national Christians for the work of ministry, but much of that Christian work is pioneer ministry. So our aim and our goal is to see people responding to Christ who has never heard the gospel before. And so we all ashamedly say we wish to see new churches filled with new converts in new areas for the glory and praise of God. And if you're praying for this work, if you're helping us equip God's people in these lands, then this is your ministry as well. So you're not just a supporter of a missionary organization. No, you're a partner with us because together we want to see souls saved. Together we want to see the gospel advancing into new areas. And together we want to see a work that done that will bring glory and honor to our wonderful God. But the question I want to ask is, are we right to think in this way? Is that the right attitude to have? And the reason I ask is because this idea of mission and evangelism and conversion is coming under attack in all types of ways and from all kinds of directions. So for example, it's coming under attack from those who believe in a pluralism and have been influenced by postmodernism. So there are people who said it's the height of arrogance for you to try and convert anybody to your point of view. They would say that how dare you say your view is better than others. Instead, all religions are equally valid and all views are equally true and that idea is all around us. The contradiction at the heart of such an idea is often ignored, and it's a position that's just largely accepted and just assumed. It's something we come across time and time again, and as such, it might undermine our confidence in doing mission and evangelism. But that's not the only place where our confidence may be undermined. Such an open commitment to biblical conversions can also be undermined in more subtle ways as we listen perhaps to our religious leaders and hear and read what they think is important. Now, I know the media has their agenda, and I know it's difficult, but the reality is that we very rarely hear our national religious leaders speak about the central core of our Christian faith. If Jesus is mentioned, it's not His death and resurrection that's pointed to, uh, and the sacrifice for sins. Instead, it's His example that's pointed to. And we're not told to come in repentance and faith to receive the salvation we all desperately need. Instead, we're told the mission of the church is to speak up against the evils of capitalism, or to highlight environmental concerns, or to speak up against some other social ill of course, all of those things are important, but according to the Bible, they're not our greatest need. And you just wish that when these men have the opportunity to address the nation, that they speak of people's need of Christ instead of our need of a fairer economic system. And that can have an impact on how we think as Christians. So in a social environment that is intellectually opposed to evangelism and mission, and with religious leaders who do not seem to prioritize biblical conversions as they should— There is the chance we might start to feel a bit of step out of step with everyone else. There is the danger that we may start to think mission is not that great of an idea after all and as a result we may start to think again about how important evangelism is and whether we really do need to be involved in it at all. And yet in that environment, instead of listening to man-made ideas or confused religious leaders, what we really need to do is listen to God's Word to see what He thinks is important. And when we turn to God's Word and think about what we're taught in the verses we've just read, I think one big and obvious point comes shining through, and that is to be involved in evangelism is to be godly. To have a concern for people who are lost is to be Christ-like, and therefore this is something as we as, as people must prioritize and must be involved in. Now, I think that comes across very clear as we understand these verses. We can see in the opening verses something of the context for the parables that Jesus tells the people. In verses 1 to 2, we're told the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling about Jesus because they were saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. In other words, Jesus was spending his time with the outcasts of his society. He was speaking with tax collectors who were just regarded as the scum of the earth, and he's spending his time with sinners, which would have included every unsavory character you could care to mention. And the Pharisees are complaining against Jesus and condemning him for doing this. And in response to their criticisms, Jesus tells three parables… We're only going to be looking at the first two, which are not as well known as the third parable of the two sons. But even in these two short stories, we're told a great deal about the heart and love and concern of God. Because what we're told in both these parables is very simple and very straightforward, and it's this. Almighty God loves sinners. Almighty God cares for sinners, and Almighty God rejoices when sinners come to Him in repentance and faith. Now, I'm not going to go into the details of the parables, but that compassion, love, and mercy of God does come out of the parables, doesn't it? So, in the first parable, we find the shepherd goes out and searches for the lost sheep. He's not satisfied with the 99. No, such is his concern. He goes out and searches for it. In the parable of the lost coin, the same thing happens. The woman doesn't say, well, it doesn't matter. I've got nine coins. No, she searches for it. She looks earnestly for it. She does not stop until she finds it because that coin was incredibly valuable to her. And in the face of religious criticism, Jesus is teaching those around him the same is true for God and his attitude towards people. Yes, the Pharisees may have dismissed and looked down their noses at these people, but God does not. Instead, God loves them. God cares for them. God shows mercy to them because people matter to God. Individuals matter to God. And that truth is reinforced in both parables by the reaction of the shepherd and the woman. So, what does the shepherd do when he finds a sheep? He has his friends and he has a party. Such is his joy and delight in finding the sheep, he celebrates. And look at what we're told in verse 7. We're told, just so I tell you, there'll be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. That's what happens at the end of one parable, and the same thing happens at the end of the other one. So what does the woman do when she finds her coin? Well, she also has a party. She also celebrates because she's found this valuable item. And what are we meant to learn from it? But look at verse 10, where we're told, Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So in the space of four verses, we're told the same thing twice. So twice we're told there's joy in heaven over sinners repenting. Twice we're told individuals repenting from their sin is a big deal. And therefore twice we're confronted with the compassion, love, and concern Almighty God has for people. He loves people. Let nobody be in any doubt. He loves sinners, and therefore we must see we are dealing with a God who's a missionary God. We're dealing with a God who prioritizes and loves evangelism, and we are worshiping a God who celebrates each and every time an individual repents and puts their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. What should that mean for us? Well, firstly, I think it means we should have the exact same thing attitude as our God, and we should rejoice every time we hear of individuals coming to a saving faith in Jesus. Our tendency is to look for the numbers or to look for the big dramatic stories of conversions, but God doesn't. Instead, God rejoices over every single person who repents and believes. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter what age they may be. It doesn't matter what they have done. God rejoices over them all. God rejoiced when we came to Him in saving faith and repentance because God loves sinners repenting, repenting, which at the very least means we should never, ever, ever dismiss or be disappointed with the ones or twos coming to saving faith in Jesus. Secondly, I think these verses teach us we should be encouraged in our prayers for mission and evangelism. One of the things that became very obvious to me very quickly was the value SGA places in the prayers of our partners in this land. Well, if you are one of them, please continue to pray on and please be encouraged by these verses to do so. Because as you read these verses, they show us the God we're praying to. And it's not a God who's disinterested in people. It's not a God we have to persuade and bargain with. To use a poor illustration, we don't have to twist God's arm behind His back in the hope that He might act. No, He loves people far more than we do. He's more willing to forgive them than they are to ask for forgiveness. He's a merciful, gracious God whose compassion goes far beyond anything we can comprehend. Which means as we pray about mission and evangelism, whether that be for SGA or another missionary organization or the work in this church or your own personal contacts and relationships, it should mean we should keep at it. It should mean we persist, and it should mean we be bold as we ask this God to save souls. Because guess what? This is something He delights in doing and then thirdly and finally, as we read these verses, we find out how God's people can please Him. It should be the concern of every Christian, shouldn't it, to please God? He's shown us so much love and grace and mercy. We're going to be reminded of that in a minute. We are blessed beyond anything we deserve, and so we should want to please God. Well, I believe these verses tell us how we can do that, because if you want to know how to please God, let me say it. the answer is very simple. it's get involved in mission. Get involved in evangelism. So, read these verses. Be confronted again with the love that God has for people and His joy when they repent, and realize if we want to please God, we need to be involved in seeing more sinners like us coming to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. Now, as I serve in a missionary organization, it's not going to surprise you when I tell you. I just might have a few ideas how you can do that. But if not us, then somebody... If not SGA, then something, all of us need to be involved in some form of mission, both home and abroad. All of us should be doing something to help more and more people hear about Jesus. Because here we are told God searches after lost people, and He rejoices when they're found. And if we want to please God, we should be involved in this great work you know, as we do so, I think we should be very grateful because I think it is such a huge privilege to be part of something which brings such pleasure and such delight to our wonderful God. So, as we finish, we could ask the question, are we out of step with the ideas, beliefs, and concerns of our society when we speak about pray for and resource evangelism? Well, the answer is yes, we are. Are we out of step with maybe some other Christians who claim to be followers of Jesus who are not so committed to bringing the gospel to new areas and seeing new converts? Sadly, again, we might be. But should that make any difference to us? No, absolutely not. It should not matter one little bit because when you read these verses, we can see here we see God's heart. Here we see God's priorities and concerns, and here we see that our God is a missionary God who loves Sinners. And at the end of the day, that's what should drive us. That's what should influence us. And that's the only thing that should really matter to us.